All right, so um, this is going to be a little bit different as we go through. Um, there's going to be a few opportunities to um, what where preacher a, a preacher would normally share an illustration to in, um, uh, bring a point home. And so when it gets to that point, one of you, some of you, are going to provide that illustration, right? So I'll give you a bit of thinking time as I chat through. But the theme of the service, the the message, is. How has the Holy Spirit, so how has God worked in you and caused you to do something? So similar to the stories that we've already heard, doesn't need to be in the last week, but in the last however long, doesn't matter. But an illustration that you can go, oh, I, that question, because I'll preview each one with a question, I can answer with this example from my life or this thing I've heard that'll encourage everyone, okay? So this is a team effort, everyone's in. Are we good with this? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how we go. So last week we talked about this acronym, um, which we're on the last week of. So we've um, deliberately jumped around because I can't spell. Um, so the acronym is BLESS. We talked about blessing people, which is what Rach picked up on before. Um, eating with others was a few weeks ago. The importance of when, when we eat with others, Jesus does things that, that only happen when we actually extend and eat with others. So eating with people outside our family unit might be neighbours or friends or people we meet inviting them into that space, like what Karen and Pete were talking about. Um, studying Jesus. So actually learning who Jesus is, because as we study Christ, we're drawn closer to Christ, we get to live out the life of Christ. Living sense, so living outwardly. We talked about this last week, looking, living outside of ourselves and looking toward others. And today we finish off the five with listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and the hope is that you'd remember this and this would become part of your, your missional habits. This would become part of who you are. So it wouldn't be a checklist of a, how did I go with that. It would be, this is how I live out my faith. This is how I live out in the community. I live at work. I live at the different places where I do life. How I um, disciple my kids. This is how I do that. That I do with the intent to bless. And that's what bless means and encapsulates. So today we're talking about listening to the Spirit's leading. And I want to tell you a story that kind of launches us into this about a king. A king who was a new king to his nation, to his, um, his, his country. And he wanted to establish a presence and a capital city. But he didn't want to do that by choosing one of the current cities because he felt in choosing one of the cities, they would think they're elevated um, to the benefit of, to the detriment of everybody else. And so just outside his land was a city that would be perfect as a capital city. It was a strong city. It was set up on a, a mountainside um, with lots of rocks and very hard to actually overcome, very hard to um, invade and dominate. So he thought this would be the perfect target. The problem was the place was literally impossible to attack. There's no way you could make it up those rocks without being defended. And so he gathered his army and he went to the base of the mountain and he gathered there looking up. And as he looked up in the um, opposing uh, city, there lived a king. And the king looked down and they started to sledge each other. They started to mock each other. And so the guy at the top says, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your resources. There's no way you can attack us. And this went on and developed until the king said this. The king up here said this. He says, all the regular guards have gone off duty and we've put the blind ones on to watch and we've told the lame ones to take all the messages to people so they know we're under attack. They'll do the job all right. So basically it's, we're invincible. Why are you wasting your time? You have no chance. The difficulty for them was that the king down the bottom, the new king, the king that was looking for a capital city, 
It's not embarrassing for you, baby. It's an ending. It's just to like dance along, sing along. <laughs> it's, it's like your husband doesn't work in tech or anything like that. <laughs> okay. So, so this king um, saw, uh, um, was down the bottom, but he knew something that the king upstairs wasn't aware of. He knew that every city needs a water supply. And so all he had to do was find the water supply, the water spring to the city, cut it off, invade the city and he would win the city. So he found the water supply and the water supply was a spring with a shaft going up to the city and he said to his men, men, anyone, the first person to to, um, assail the water shaft and get into the city and breach the walls, I will make general of my army. And so the men rushed at this, they roared up the water shaft, they invaded the city completely, while they were completely unaware that this was happening, they took the city and they won the battle. And so the new king walked into the city and he declared this, his land, and he declared a particular building in the middle of the city to be a building that should be um, free of those who were blind and lame, for they were the reason of this mockery. So this is a building in the middle of the city that he claimed as free land where if you were blind or lame, you couldn't come onto this particular building. Now, what does that story have to do with what we're listening to today. And hopefully you've been racking your brains as I've been speaking. Well, here's the interesting thing. The king was King David. And the city was Jerusalem. And the building that the blind and lame were allowed into was the temple. And the story is in Samuel 5, 6 and 7, and 1 Chronicles 11, 4 and 6. Happened in the same place a thousand years before what we're going to speak about today. And it's really important that we know that backstory. So we're going to keep that in mind as we read through Matthew 21, 12 to 14. So every week or every day for, for a month or two now, we've been reading the Bible every day. And so I know a number of you have been involved in that. Um, and if we just flip to the thing, if you want to jump on that and be part of that, we're doing it digitally through an app called the Bible app. And so you can read along um, and it tells you what to read every day and it gives you an opportunity to discuss. But if you're thinking, oh, the tech thing, or I don't want another app on my phone, there's a, a sheet on the back table that you can pick up that it's either of that or the Bible plan and you can pick up and read along with us. Now this isn't about oh did I miss a day and I feel guilty and I need to check it off or I've missed the boat, I'm not going to jump on that. The whole purpose of this is that we're doing the study Jesus element, right? That we're, we're spending every day to draw closer to Jesus, to understand more of Jesus. So if you've been going along strong and then maybe the last week you've fallen off, you're like no I'm never going to get back on. Don't worry about catching up. Just link on where we are. It's important that God speaks to us every day. It's not about any points or looking good before God or anyone else. It's about regularly developing this missional habit of studying Jesus. So today we're going to pick one of the readings or part of the readings that we covered this week. And that reading is Matthew 21, 12 to 14. It's three verses. And I need someone to come up and read that for me. So some of you are like, I've read this already. read it this week. I need a volunteer to come up. I've got the words right here. Just to read. Thanks, Pete. (laughs) Uh, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. 
It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So as we explore this story today, I want us to look at what the Holy Spirit's up to through that story. Which is an interesting question to ask, because as you read that verse, as we've had it read to us, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit was very much present. Let me give you a bit of an analogy about how that works. This is something I did not make. But my wife, Lyndall, did. How long ago did you make this, huh? 15 years, maybe a bit longer. And, like, creativity, right? It's a blanket, as you're wondering. And so when you look at it, it might be the pattern that jumps out, it might be a particular thing. In fact, because it's really important, what I thought, just as a memory tool, I'm just going to cut out each of these squares and give them to... Now, you're, you're a sewer, Teresa, and you just looked at me with horror. It's like, what are you doing? You see, we can be fooled into thinking that the squares are the most important thing about this, right? But when you flick it over... You get to see a not-so-pretty other side. But what do you notice as you look on this side? The stitching, right? The stitching, oh, it's not as pretty as the other side. The stitching actually kind of overwhelms. The stitching is the most important thing about this. Without the stitching, you just have a, a, a number of pieces of material. But it's the stitching that holds it together. Now, here's where this is important. We read that Matthew verse and we look at it like this. But when we understand what's holding it all together... When we understand the work of the Spirit in the midst of it, we go, oh, it means so much more. It's an incredible story that we get to be part of. And so that's the metaphor that we are approaching um, our, uh, our reading with today. So let's jump in. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. So the temple court that he walked into was the court of the Gentiles. So the, the temple was divided into different courts. And the court of the Gentiles was the place that the temple had been created to allow people who were far from God, who weren't Jews, right? So a Gentile isn't a gentle person. It's someone who's not a Jew. So we would be Gentiles, right? So you've got a Jewish nation serving and loving a Jewish God, Yahweh, who is our God. Um, just called a different name, but Yahweh is the God of Christ, is Christ. And so you had these people, but they were so compassionate that people that weren't Jews, they wanted to make sure there was an avenue for them to worship and come to know God. And that was the court of the Gentiles. That was also the court where all this bad stuff was happening. So Jesus comes in and he addresses the problem. He throws the tables everywhere. He speaks into it with this sense of, of power because what he's wanting to do is saying... As God's people, you are squandering the avenue that people who don't know God would come through to worship me. So he's reconciling people who don't know God with the God who loves them. That's one of the things that's taking place in this passage. And then it says right at the other end of the verse, it says in verse 14, The blind and the lame, they came to him at the temple and he healed them. So... What did we hear about the blind and the lame in our story of a thousand years beforehand? Like, expelled, kicked out. 
And yet, they rush into the temple. They're not supposed to be in the temple. They're still not supposed to be in the temple. But they rush into the temple and Jesus doesn't turn them away. He should. Because they're not supposed to be there, right? But instead, He heals them. So He's saying those who are ostracized by society, those who are down and out, those who aren't perfect, those who are broken, those who are disadvantaged or dysfunctional, the temple is for them. They need to be close to God and what God is doing. And Jesus' actions make space for the Spirit of God to do what the Holy Spirit does. So Jesus acts in a certain way in the physical, so certain things can take place in the spiritual. That not everyone would have seen or made sense of, but that's what the Spirit does. You see, Jesus lived in constant communication with the Spirit, which when you think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that makes sense, right? Because they were literally one. But when Jesus was walking around, he was so tuned in to the Spirit and what the Spirit wanted that his actions are a constant reminder and display of what the Holy Spirit would do and who the Holy Spirit is. Now the task of the Spirit is to see what's taking place in the spiritual world and guide us in the physical world to complement that. Right? So God sees everything that's going on, spiritual and physical. And he goes, ah, I just need Karen to call this lady because of the spiritual ramifications they're taking on. And so he gives Karen a nudge and tells her and she doesn't let her escape. And she does that and it has spiritual um, ramifications, wonderful consequences that Karen may know nothing about. But that doesn't matter because Karen's actions enabled the Holy Spirit to be empowered and to be moved in that scenario, right? That's why we need faith. We need to trust God because, because it's, it, He is aware of things that we are simply not aware of. No, that's alright. So we need to trust God because God is aware of things that we're not aware of. To work with God, we're required to trust. And the more we trust, the more God says, Oh, I can work with you. This is a great partnership. And so the more we see what God is doing and the more we get to understand how the spiritual world works because we're dialing in to the Holy Spirit. So, your turn. Illustration time, story time. The question is, have you got a story of when God orchestrated things and you or somebody else benefited from that? So a story when God had done some things or set some things up and maybe he asked you or he asked somebody else and you were blessed or somebody else was blessed as a result of what the Spirit was doing. Great. Um, this happened some time ago, but um, it would have been maybe two years ago um, when Amen was going to a preschool program and... Um, I took him along and, um, you know, over a few weeks I got to know some of the other mums and you just get talking and I became aware that one of the mothers, she was bringing her son and um, she had to walk and she was walking and then I noticed um, that she had her ankle strapped up and it was quite difficult, like I could see that she was struggling um, and I asked her, I said, oh, well, you know, where do you live and um it was very close to the location and i thought oh gee that's just on my way home anyway um i said oh look you know um 
how about next week, because oh, at home, because we have the two vehicles, we also had two car seats and her son's similar age and size as Eamon. So I said, look, how about I, um, bef before I offered though, I had gone home and asked Andrew because it was, I really, it, I was really um, pushed out of my shell to offer that because I had a lot of what ifs, like, it's not someone I, re I really don't know this person. Um, what if they take advantage? What if I become a taxi driver? All these things. And um, But I think my compassion for the situation and um, also her son had a few extra challenges. He was also a diabetic. Um, so I said, okay, look, I've got the second car seat. So next week I'll bring it and I can... Um, give you a lift home so um every time after preschool i would take them home and then i began taking them as well so um because it was really close it was only it wasn't out of my way so i said okay well look, i'll pick you up and then um like a year later um like the kids graduated and then um and along that time there were times where um, they had to go up to the hospital and I said, well, look, I can take you for that appointment. Um, so, and in that, as well as perhaps making her life easier and um, helping her son to be able to attend regularly without her having to do the walk, um, I was also blessed because out of that, I made like a friend um, and it I think I surprised myself because I thought this was something that I thought surely you can do that it's not very hard just to offer someone a lift but I really felt like I had to step out and it was definitely a positive experience um, and now I still regularly see I, I would say that this um, other mum's a friend and we like regularly um, exercise together and do things through the week so yeah that's my story so good, so good. So the spirit's task is to disrupt the status quo, right? So the status quo for you is just like, well, I've got a playgroup, I'm done, like that's just how it is. And the spirit goes, oh, I'm going to mess this up for you so you see how my life works. We get glimpses of how the kingdom of God works. Now the temple was the status quo, in that day and age. That was the status quo and it had been for a long, long time. The temple was structured around the idea that people would bring sacrifices to the temple and those sacrifices would be sacrificed and as a result, people um, would be atoned for their sin. But the sacrifice had to be unblemished. And that means not dirty, not sick, not ill, not anything else. So when we talk about sacrifice, we're not talking about something that's dead, we're talking about something that's alive, like a pigeon, for example. Now, if you lived on a, a town outside of Jerusalem, you would have to walk into Jerusalem on the dusty roads and go, and you would bring your pigeon, and you would hope that it wouldn't get dirty, it wouldn't get eaten, it wouldn't get maimed, it wouldn't fly away, all the things that would just freak you out if you had a pet pigeon, right? That, well, not a pet pigeon, but a pigeon that you were going to sacrifice. And so this was a really difficult task that people knew the chances of me bringing my unblemished sacrifice to the temple are just, is, is not going to work. And so the temple had a solution to this. And that was that you went into the court of the Gentiles, you took your real money, and you placed it, you gave it to the money exchangers, and they gave you temple money that you could then take and buy the sacrifice that you could then take into the temple. Now the problem was, 
that I would take in, say, my 10 bucks, and I, I don't know how much a pigeon costs, and I'd put my 10 bucks in, and instead of getting the equivalent of $9 uh, temple money back, and they take a dollar, I'd get five back, right? So you're getting completely ripped off um, just because you're changing and exchanging money before you go and buy your, um, your, your pigeon. Um, and so people looked at that and they went, we can't do anything about it, right? The status quo is set. If we don't engage in this, we don't have an animal that we can take and be sacrificed to. We're not going to be right with God. This is a huge problem. So the money changers saw this as an amazing opportunity to exploit people. And that's exactly what they did. They completely ripped people off exchanging their real money for the temple money. Now the word in Greek for that word that money changes in this particular situation is the equivalent to the word of a violent revolutionary. So, so the picture we should get of these money changes in this particular situation, not all money changes, in this particular situation, were that they expected the Messiah to come, but to overthrow Rome by force. So they, were, they weren't kind, they weren't caring, they weren't compassionate, they were ruthless people, that when the temple is a complete um, waste of time because the Messiah is coming to overthrow Rome by force, so let's benefit on the way. There, right? So they would rip off people because the temple system didn't mean anything to them. So Jesus rolls into this situation. And to give you a bit of an equivalent, if you're like, what would that actually be like? It would be like an innocent rabbi teacher walking into a bikey den to set them straight. Right? So we're not talking like, ah. Oh, these poor innocent accountants that Jesus beats up. No, no, no. We're talking like bikey sort of the equivalent in that day and age. And Jesus walks in and literally grabs these tables and flips them over. Now, you're exchanging coins, right? It was all coins. There was no tap and pay. There was no FPOS. There was no credit card. It was all coins. And the coins are on the table, right? So there's temple coins, there's real money coins, and they're being exchanged. And then Jesus walks in and flips the tables over. What happens? The coins go... Psh! I don't know if you've ever dropped coins in the supermarket, but you never, ever find them all, right? They do where? And so, so Jesus does this. The coins go everywhere. The people that see what's happened, what do they do? About time we get our own back, and they rush in to grab as many coins. So it was absolute pandemonium as this was taking place. And there was no doubt about it that by the end of that day, by the time things had settled down, these money changers had lost a great deal of money. They were on the, 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 the back foot. Now, did this ever, what was about to happen, did it ever seem in the reading to be a factor that Jesus brought into his behaviour? upset some bikies. Did, was it, is it, there's no evidence of that, right? There's nothing at all. Did Jesus even flinch when he walked into the temple? It was like he was driven on a mission. Did their opinion of him or the consequences that would take place as a result of this ever seem to put the brakes on what he was doing? Nothing. It was like the only opinion that mattered was God's. It was like the Spirit had conveyed to Jesus so powerfully what God wanted that he's like, I'm in. But none of it matters. See, an hour before, he'd rolled into Jerusalem as the king. 
People had literally taken off their jackets and thrown them on the ground along with the palm trees as the Jesus entered on a donkey. This is how they would welcome kings. And so their jackets were being trodden on by a donkey and other things by a donkey, right? Their own jackets. That's how pumped they were that Jesus was in town. And what's the first order of business? Rumble in the temple. The temple meant something to the people that pulled their jackets off, right? The temple was really important to them. They needed the temple to be right with God. And Jesus challenges that. Jesus had no interest in whether he was going to upset the money traders. And he had no interest about whether he was going to win the support of the crowd. It was all about, God has driven me to do this. It's God's opinion that matters. I'm going to do it. It reveals to us that actions against the status quo that align us with God's agenda, they are works of the Spirit in us. So if you see something that's not right, that doesn't feel right, that you're like, oh, I know that's the status quo, but there's something in me that's not happy, and you act, that's the Spirit going, pay attention to that, get on that, move that. You're not happy with that situation? I want you to do something about it. Don't go whinge and complain. You just do something about it. Whatever that looks like with what I've given you, that's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit challenges the status quo to redeem the status quo to look more like the kingdom of God than the status quo. The temple was this place that did not look like the kingdom of God because the blind weren't allowed there, the lame weren't allowed there, the Gentiles couldn't get in. It was a mess and the people running the place were doing it for their own profit. Status quo. Jesus challenges it. He is driven by the Spirit into that space. So let me ask you a question. Illustration time. Have you ever experienced God tell you, God move you toward the status quo that you're like, that's not right. I need to do something in order for that to be changed so it resembles more of the way God wants things. Well, if you're going to smile like that, (laughs) Kerry It's it's a great story really but after being an architect for you know nearly 20 years or something crazy he contemplated doing a teaching degree and kept going no 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 that's just silly. Why would I do that? That's just silly. Eventually, it was the year that it was going to be the final year to do it in 12 months that you could do the Diploma of Education if you had a one degree. And so he said, oh, well, I'll just I'll put the application in because I don't want to miss the opportunity and then I'll think about it. And he thought about it and he went, no, no, no. I know, you're not going to do that. But in the meantime, he was driving to Brisbane at least three days a week for his job. And then on the day that the uni started, he drove to Brisbane for work as normal, left to work and went, okay, God. (laughs) And it literally explains it as, you know, a very strong spiritual pull to take that Malkabat exit and drive into uni and sit in the lecture and feel very surreal that, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm back at uni, this is, you know, surreal. Um, but yeah, it describes it as very much a Holy Spirit 
Okay, yep, yep, I'm taking the exit. <laughs> And is now a teacher, that's right. And that's cool, isn't it? It's like, yeah, we have a status quo, we have a comfortable, and then God calls us in a different direction. And I, I when I was catching up with Greg last year, I remember him, um, we were doing a job at his place, and he invited some of the students, the grade 12 students, to come and help. And I could, the bond, the, 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 the amount that they respected Greg, and what Greg had been able to pour into them, you're like, it's amazing. Like, so, so, listening to the Spirit, it may make life difficult. Do not be fooled. Right? It may make life. It will make life interesting. It probably will be very exciting, depending on how you define excitement. Because even though we're meant to live counterculturally, right? Romans twelve two. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. We have slowly adapted to the patterns of this world. When we live in this world. It's very difficult to be countercultural, um, and so we've slowly adapted. To the, to the status quo. And the Holy Spirit wants to disrupt that. Wants to jolt us out of the status quo. That's just what you do. To, oh, that's how God lives. And I get to be part of how God lives. And we see Jesus come crashing in to the status quo of the temple. Not just wandering and dabbling and trying the water. But crashing in. Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And it is written, he said. So he was saying it. And that means you know what was said. Right? That's, that's what that phrase means. You know what was said. My house. What's he claiming there? He's saying my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it into a den of robbers. And as this takes place, something absolutely Incredible happens. He stops the functioning of the temple. So, so think about it, right? People would come in, they would exchange their money to buy a sacrifice for the sacrifice, but they had no way of exchanging the money. So there were no sacrifices exchanged that day. So there was no sacrifice to take to the priest for the priests to sacrifice to atone for their sins. It had all been stopped, completely disrupted. It was temporary. But it was huge. It had never happened before. So Jesus, driven by the Spirit, is making a statement. And the statement is this. Oh, you don't need the temple. I am the temple. Jesus is saying everything you rely on the temple for, you can have through me. You, you, through me, you will worship God. Through me, you will know God intimately. Through me, your sins will be forgiven. Through me, you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer, he's calling people back to the real purpose of the temple. And the real purpose of the temple was where people could come and worship God, where they could pray, where they could experience the presence of God, because God dwelled in the temple. So the temple was this gateway to experiencing God. And Jesus positions himself as an alternate to that. He's like, I know, I know what you think. I know what's been said. But now through me, people can meet God. Through Christ, people can meet God. And we go, well, yeah, we, we understand that. That's what the Christian tradition's built on. But he was challenging the status quo that was so strongly embedded. And he does it in such dramatic style. I mean, like, wow, he could have come in and done a sermon. Could have stood outside and 
He could have written them an email, a strongly worded email. He could have talked to his disciples about how they shouldn't be doing that. But instead he walks into the bikey den and throws the tables upside down. And then to put the icing on the cake. It's just like Jesus like, you thought that was good. Watch this. The blind and the lame, they then came into the temple. What? They're not allowed in the temple. They're supposed to be kicked out, but they came into the temple. And then Jesus heals them. How is that possible? Because the temple's not working, right? So God's not allowed to work because the temple was disrupted. It was out of commission, and yet they're healed. Which means maybe it's not about the temple. Maybe Jesus was right. Maybe he is the temple. He is the presence of God. He is the hope of God walking around for people to see and engage with and go, oh, God is more of a person than something that's abstract and a building. It is this beautiful orchestration of the Holy Spirit to say, look what we are doing here. You see, the Spirit of God, it always leads us to encounter Jesus. It did then. It led them to encounter Christ. The Spirit works to draw us closer to Jesus. The Spirit's work is to disrupt the status quo so that we might meet Jesus. And that's as true as it is for us. The reason you're here today is likely because the Spirit of God invited you, nudged you, directed you, played on your mind, encouraged you to come. And why are we here? We're here to meet Jesus. We're here to encounter Jesus. Because we know that we can walk around blind, we can sit around lame and feel so disempowered, but it's in Christ we have healing, we have new life. Without the work of the Spirit, we cannot meet Christ. So, last illustration time. Does anyone have a story where they've discovered more of Jesus and when you look back on it, you say, ah, I think the Holy Spirit was behind that. Behind me, seeing, maybe it was seeing Jesus for the first time. It was meeting Christ for the first time. Maybe it was something where you're drawn deeper into who Christ was. And you look back and you're like, yeah, the Spirit actually orchestrated things to make that happen. Oh, I've got a story. Um, Paul is a, he used to be a chaplain at um, Southport High School. And um, he had a student there that was um, from Vietnam and she just moved over, she just moved over here from, with her family from Vietnam. And um, we decided to invite her to a um, church event. It was like a trivia night or something. Um, and yeah, I just felt like I had a real kindred um, connection with her because she's like an immigrant as well. And, you know, English is a second language. And um, yeah, I, I felt like she really looked up to me because my English is so good now and <laughs> married a white guy. <laughs> That's what she was <laughs> Um, and um, yeah, throughout the night, I yeah got to connect with her really well, and I got to share my testimony with her. And um, yeah, I think she felt really inspired. She was really inspired that you could actually have a relationship with God, like a personal one, um, and not just like a religious one. Um, and we caught up with her recently, actually. It's been about nine years now, um, and she's graduated. She was a ducks of her school which is amazing, like she's a student that didn't speak any English when she moved here and within like three years, she graduated, 
DAXA school, um, graduated from Bond with a law degree and is a lawyer now and she became a Christian recently. And she, um, yeah, when I met with her, she, um, yeah, she remembered our encounter and it was a, a really significant point for her and it still makes me emotional thinking that I actually got to be a part of that journey. So, yeah, it was really cool. In nine years, nine years from a testimony to seeing a shift. Do not lose heart. <laughs> Do not lose heart. That God is doing things. The spirit we we are. God is doing things in the spiritual that we can't see, and calls us in the physical to just contribute to what God is doing, and the what that contrib- contribution looks like in God's hands enables lives to be changed. That's such a cool story. Wow. So to recap. Jesus disrupts the temple, causing it to be non-functioning. Then he positions himself as the new temple. He becomes the new temple for the people. He welcomes people back to God. He heals people there and becomes the spiritual heart of the nation of Israel. Right? This is really cool. Because the temple was the spiritual heart of the nation of Israel. Now Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is saying, I'm the new heart of this people. I'm the new heart of this people. He is revealing to all that he's replacing the temple. Now listen to this, right? Fast forward from that point, 15 years. So Jesus has uh, been uh, crucified, resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. The church has exploded. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he set up, he started, who were just a bit of a mess. And he's writing to them. And in this particular verse, he's trying to explain to them all the stuff we're thinking about today, right? And this is the language Paul puts on it in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? We go, hang on. It was a bit of a stretch getting from temple to Jesus and now Jesus to us? How does, how does that happen? But Paul is saying you are the temple. We are the temple individually and corporately together we are the temple. That's why it's important to come together and worship because when we come together we are the temple that God lives in. What a day. <laughs> so God's presence So God chooses to dwell in us both as a church and as individuals. So God's presence was understood to be confined to the temple, right? Jesus disrupts the temple, which he can do because God's spirit actually resides in him. It's not in a building, it's in him. So he takes the place of the temple to help people be reconciled to God through the work of the spirit that accompanies his actions. And so Jesus dies, resurrected, ascended, and God's spirit is then given to the people. Right? That's how that happened. So Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on, there's 120 followers, the Holy Spirit comes on them and just explodes through the land by gripping people's hearts and turning them toward God. It was incredible. And people from all walks of life followed Jesus, worshipped him, realised he was the Messiah, and then went back to their hometowns to tell people what had happened. And that's how the the church grew and spread. Because of the Holy Spirit dwelling and living and residing in his people. 
So it's through the church, it's through us, it's through every church, it's through the church, that people encounter the Spirit of God who leads them to Jesus the Son so they can be reconciled to God the Father. It's this beautiful thing that we get to be a part of. We're the actions of the work of the Holy Spirit that people might see Jesus and once they meet Jesus, they're reconciled to God the Father. That's the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that we need to develop the habit of listening to. And that is a, that is a trip. That is my favorite thing about being a Christian, about following Jesus, is that God, the creator of everything, everything we can conceive, would choose for some bizarre, unknown reason to use me, to speak to me, to allow me to be part of something that he's doing that I have no idea about, that he says, you want to be part of it? I'm going to talk to you. And he says that to each one of us. You want to be part of that? I'm going to tell you how. You, 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 you're feeling down and out. Let me show you what's going on. Let me encourage you in that. You're feeling grief and hurt and pain. Let me, let me come alongside you and show you a greater picture. You're feeling like you're trapped with depression or anxiety. I'm there with you in that. Let me show you the things I want to show you in that. This last week, I had a, a, a text message from a friend, and maybe you've got these text messages, they come through every so often, and it said, I've changed my mobile number. Can you text me or ring me or contact me on this? And I hadn't spoken to this friend for quite some time. I was like, oh yeah, cool. And then the next day, it was like halfway through the day, out of nowhere, I got this really strong, you should ask, why? I'm like, well, they haven't got their phone anymore. That happens. Um, no, no, you should ask why. Okay. So I text them like, oh, this might sound strange. So I just said, hey, look, just felt I should ask. A Christian, I said, just that I should ask, why? And then he said, oh, well, I've just been made redundant from my work. Or I've been working for 20 years. And they're about to face liquidation. But I don't know if I'm going to get the things that's owed me for those 20 years of service or not. Um, and I'm like, I can pray with you for that. Like... Praise, like that'd be awesome, right? So I don't know how many of these other conversations took place and, and all the rest, but I know that that happened. And then the next morning, he texts me. He's like, "You wouldn't believe it, but God came through. I'm getting everything that was owed to me." Right now, that doesn't have anything to do with me personally praying. God goes, oh, "Okay, yeah, I need, I need some people." And he, I reckon there was, a, I don't know, there was a bunch of people that were involved in praying with this guy for that to take place because God saw something happening spiritually and went, yeah, I can affect this. This is how I'm going to do it. And he calls people into it. Isn't it scary how many times we might miss that? Or how many times God goes, I'll ask, I'm ask, I'm ask, oh, find somebody else. And he wants to use each one of us. I had this bizarre thing the other day. It was about a month ago. I was driving down Burley Road just down here and, uh, and a couple... Um, popped into my head, who I hadn't thought about in quite some time, just popped in my head and, and, and felt the Spirit of God say, you should pray for them. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then felt the Spirit of God say, just ask them if there's anything specific. And I'm like, but that sounds weird. You know when you're feeling good and somebody goes, oh, are you okay? And then you start going, oh, do I not look okay? Am I not okay? What's wrong with me? And you're completely fine. It's like, it's, God, it's one of those things. It's going to be weird. I don't want to put doubt in people's minds. He's like, just, just do it. So, the next... Three weeks. Three weeks, right? It's like this the annoying feeling like it's silly. No, I just and I forgot and then kept coming back. I'm like, okay. 
So I text, and the text that came back was, can you please pray? Our marriage is just a disaster at the moment. We would love for you to pray for us in this space. God sees stuff happening right, that we have no idea about. And he just says, come, come be part of it. Just develop a listening ear and I'm going to surprise you and I'm going to make your life difficult. I'm going to upset the status quo. You're going to be presented with the opportunity that only God's opinion matters. And you get the opportunity time and time again to do that. And if you, can, if you step into that space, we'll bring change. We'll bring my kingdom to this place. There'll be no need for a temple because everyone will know the Spirit of God as it resides in us. So listen to the Spirit. And so what I've tried to do is just listen to God and just try and be faithful when He talks. And He does stuff that I'm like, it's stupid, I don't want to do that. And does other things that I'm like, wow, I get to be part of that. But it's part of living this kingdom. It's not belonging to the status quo. And when we live separate to that, people... People can see what that looks like and there's something wonderfully attractive about what God is doing that people want to be part of. It lessens people's defenses so they can join and be part of that. So, so I just want to pray for us now that God would right now speak to us. And that, that whatever that crazy idea or that picture or that thought or whatever it is that you check, you go, is it a good thing? Like the Spirit of God is not going to tell you to do something evil or bad, right? So... If, if that's where you're at, come talk to me afterwards. But if it's a good thing, that we would have the courage to do it. And what I've learned about courage is God doesn't give us the courage. He says, be courageous, right? So it's already within us. He goes, be courageous, be bold. Here's what I want you to do, all right? So we're, we're going to try and just see what the heck happens this week. And we'll come back next week and, and talk about it. Let's pray.